0: Welcome to the Book of Mormon, a masterclass. This podcast is designed to help you come closer to Jesus Christ by seriously studying the Book of Mormon. This was originally designed as a video course. To see the visuals for this episode, please visit johnhiltoniiicom slash the Book of Mormon. I'm so excited to dive into First Nephi chapters 1 through 5 and study them with you today. We've already had a couple of classes together and we've got lots more to come. So I thought it might be appropriate at the beginning of this class just to tell you a little bit more about myself. First, one fun fact is that I'm an amateur magician, and I certainly hope sometime throughout this course that I can integrate a magic trick. Most importantly, my wife Lonnie and I have six children who we love. One of my hobbies is snowboarding. This is actually the pinnacle of my snowboarding career. I injured my foot on this very jump, and so now I take it a little bit more easy. Another thing that's unique about my family is that we love China. We've had several trips to China together as a family, and many of my children, and I also speak Mandarin Chinese. Our family loves to serve in the community, and I'm also an author. I've written several books. My most recent one is Voices in the Book of Mormon Discovering the Distinctive Witnesses of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about some of these distinctive Book of Mormon voices at different times throughout this masterclass. I'd love to get the chance to know you a little better. If you'd like to reach out and connect, you can find me on social media, or you can also email me through the course website. I think it would be fun for us to get to know each other better, and we'll have a couple of live sessions connected with this masterclass. So if you'd like to join any of those live sessions, again, connect on social media or through the website. But for now, let's begin with probably the most famous verse in the Book of Mormon. First Nephi chapter 1, verse 1 you probably have at least the first eight words memorized. I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents. Now, let's just stop right there and consider only the first two words, I, Nephi. Already we see a difference in the Book of Mormon relative to the Bible. For example, we never get a verse like, behold, I, Matthew, a tax collector. We don't hear that first person narrative in Matthew or Mark. And in much of the Old Testament, books like 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, there's an editor who we don't know who this person is. The Book of Mormon is different. Right up front, Nephi tells you who he is. And I didn't realize this for several years, but Nephi is writing these events 30 or 40 years after his family left Jerusalem. So he might be 50 years old as he's recording 1st Nephi chapter 1. This isn't a journal of the day-to-day events in the life of the young man, Nephi. He's telling us a retrospective account, and that can change the way that we read it. Recently, my friend Hank Smith pointed out something that I hadn't noticed before, which is that Nephi begins, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents. He could have said, I, Nephi, the slayer of Laban, or I, Nephi, king of my people, or I, Nephi, builder of temples. But you see something of humility in Nephi as he begins, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents. It's a reminder to us to remember all of the blessings that we've received in our lives and the sources of those blessings. As we keep going with verses 1 through 3, notice Nephi's emphasis. I, Nephi, make a record of my proceedings in my days. Yea, I make a record in the language of my father. I know that the record which I make is true, and I make it with my own hand. I make it according to my knowledge. For Nephi, records are clearly important, right up front in the beginning of the Book of Mormon. As we keep reading in today's class, we're going to learn about how his father received a sacred book. The whole storyline of going back to get the plates of brass all centers around records. Once Nephi and Lehi receive the records, they're going to search them from the beginning, and this is going to fill them with the Holy Ghost. There's so many lessons for us right off the bat, the importance of records, and that they bring us the Holy Ghost, the intense amount of effort Nephi is willing to go through to receive records and record them. One time, my wife went through a copy of the Book of Mormon, and she just put a little square kind of representing some plates next to every time. Records occurred. And I was amazed to flip through the pages of her Book of Mormon and see all of the references to records. When we come to the end of 1st Nephi chapter 5 today, we'll read, We had obtained the records which the Lord had commanded us and searched them and found that they were desirable, yea, even of great worth unto us, insomuch that we could preserve the commandments of the Lord unto our children. Wherefore, it was wisdom in the Lord that we should carry them with us as we journeyed in the wilderness toward the land of promise. Think about that last phrase, that the Lord wanted them to carry the scriptures with them as they journeyed through the wilderness towards their land of promise. As we're journeying through our own metaphorical wildernesses, carrying the scriptures with us, reading them, feeling the spirit from them, will carry us to our promised land. I think it's interesting, too, that Nephi uses the word search. He says, we searched the scriptures. And this is actually a pattern that we see throughout the Book of Mormon. The people in Jacob's day searched the scriptures. King Benjamin told his sons to search the scriptures diligently. The sons of Mosiah had searched the scriptures diligently that they might know the word of God. Alma exhorted the Zoramites, ye ought to search the scriptures. There are many more examples in the Book of Mormon. And the pattern doesn't stop there. In the modern day, in Doctrine and Covenants, section one, Jesus Christ said, Search these commandments, for they are true and faithful. And the prophecies and promises which are in them shall all be fulfilled. So perhaps instead of reading the scriptures, we got to spend a little bit more time searching them. What does it mean to search the scriptures? One of my favorite study tools is to go to the 1828 Dictionary. This is a helpful tool because the 1828 dictionary helps us see what words meant at the time the Book of Mormon was being translated. Because the meanings of words shift over time, it's useful to go back and see the definition during the time period Joseph Smith was translating the Book of Mormon. The 1828 dictionary defines the word search as to look through for the purpose of finding something, to explore. There are lots of things that we can search for, look for, try to explore as we read or search the Book of Mormon. On the course website, there's a list of lots of scripture study techniques, some of which we'll talk about today, others throughout the rest of the masterclass. But I would encourage you to take a look and think about your searching of the scriptures. I love this idea from Elder Jeffrey R. Holland for searching. It's simply to slow down. He said, Please read more slowly. And more carefully, with more questions in mind, ponder and examine every word, every scriptural gem, hold it up to the light, and turn it, look and see what's reflected and refracted there. Such an examination may unearth a treasure hidden in a field, a pearl beyond price. Right up front, Nephi is telling us about the importance of records, records that will point us to Jesus Christ. So as we continue in verse four, we read, it came to pass in the commencement of the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Now, most of the time we just glide past this verse, but we could stop and go back to the Old Testament. If we were to read in 2 Kings or the book of Jeremiah, we can learn quite a bit more about Zedekiah. And this gives us the setting for Lehi's Jerusalem. For example, we read, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's an ominous starting point for the Book of Mormon. Now, we could have a whole class or several classes just helping us set the stage for Lehi's Jerusalem. And this is an important context because that's what Lehi and Nephi will be taking with them as they go to the promised land. Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself. Brother Hilton, I wish I could read a whole book about Lehi's Jerusalem. Wish granted. A great book like this exists, and I've got a free copy of it available on the course website. But for now, let's go on to verse 5 and notice a special prayer as we're introduced to Lehi. Nephi tells us that as his father Lehi went forth, he prayed unto the Lord, yea, even with all his heart in behalf of his people. One of my favorite things to search for in the scriptures is one-liners, short, powerful phrases. And there are several here that describe Lehi's prayer. As he went forth. So it's while Lehi is on the move, obviously we often want to pray while we're kneeling down, but sometimes we're driving in our cars or we're on the bus, or we're walking somewhere. That's a great time to pray. That's what Lehi did. As he went forth. Notice too that it says he prayed with all his heart. This is not a puny prayer. You can see Lehi really putting effort into his prayer, and he's not just praying for himself. Look at that last phrase, in behalf of his people. Many years ago, I attended a special state conference in which the visiting authority invited us to read through the Book of Mormon and look for all the times prophets prayed. There are lots of lessons we can learn about improving our prayers through learning from prophetic prayers. Here, we've already seen some examples from Lehi, and if we were just to notice this pattern, even in the first few chapters of the Book of Mormon, we would see lots more prayers. For example, on two different occasions, we see prayers where prophets give thanks. Nephi also uses this phraseology of crying unto the Lord, which signifies a real intensity in prayers. Those are a lot of prayers just in the first couple chapters in the Book of Mormon. Overall, I counted 129 times prophets pray in the Book of Mormon, and I created a little spreadsheet with all of these prayers. So if you're interested in diving deeper and looking into patterns into how prophets pray in the Book of Mormon, you can go ahead and check those out on the course website. So as Lehi is traveling, praying with all of his heart, he has a vision. It's so overwhelming. He goes back to his home, he casts himself on his bed, and then he has another vision. And in this vision, he said that he saw one descending out of the midst of heaven. And he beheld his luster was above that of the sun at noonday. We're not even 10 verses into the Book of Mormon and Lehi sees a vision of Jesus Christ and 12 following him. This is a reminder of how Jesus Christ is at the very center, up front in the Book of Mormon. Jesus Christ hands Lehi a book and asks him to read it. And as Lehi reads it, there's some problems. Nephi tells us many things did my father read concerning Jerusalem, that it should be destroyed, and the inhabitants thereof many should perish by the sword, and many should be carried away captive into Babylon. Now, this sounds like really bad news. If we stopped right there, we might think, okay, not good. But notice what happens next. My father did exclaim many things unto the Lord, such as, Great and marvelous are they works, O Lord God Almighty, because thou art merciful. Thou will not suffer those who come unto thee that they shall perish. Even though the news isn't good, even though trouble is coming, Lehi is still positive and enthusiastic, even grateful. As one of my colleagues said, even though trouble is coming, if we come unto Christ, everything is going to be okay. Now, let's just step back and look at a bigger picture of what's happening here. We have a prophet who has a special prayer. He has a vision. He's given a book. He reads the book and he shares the message of the book with others and the people try to kill him. Who does this sound like? It sounds like Lehi in 1 Nephi 1. It also sounds like Joseph Smith. Sort of interesting to see a little type there. As we come to the end of 1 Nephi chapter 1, Nephi tells us, the things which Lehi read in the book manifested plainly of the coming of a Messiah, and also the redemption of the world. Again, up front, we're seeing Jesus Christ at the center and his saving mission. But not everyone's happy about Lehi's message. As we continue, Nephi says, When the Jews heard these things, they were angry with Lehi. They also sought his life that they might take it away. But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith, to make them mighty, even unto the power of deliverance. Again, going back to that idea of one-liner, short, powerful phrases, the tender mercies of the Lord. Some of these are huge. Some of these are small. But just like Nephi saw and will show us the tender mercies of the Lord, we can look for those same tender mercies in our own lives and share them with others. So in first Nephi chapter two, Lehi is warned in a dream to take his family and leave Jerusalem. If I were to ask you, how far did Lehi and his family travel? You would probably say three days because of first Nephi chapter two, verse six. This verse says, and it came to pass that when he had traveled three days in the wilderness, he pitched his tent in a valley by the side of a river of water. Now we'll come back to those three days in just a minute but I want to highlight this phrase about by the side of a river of water. Many years ago, Elder Holland shared something that I found quite humorous. I want to share this with you. He said, I can still remember the scriptural awakening that came to me when a skillful and well-prepared seminary teacher, teaching that much read and to us students, absolutely boring material from Nephi. I can remember when he asked me in class why in first Nephi, Chapter 2, verse 6, the Book of Mormon records that Lehi pitched his tent in a valley by the side of a river of water. Well, it was early in the year, only the first day or two of class, and as always, the teacher was still very much on trial. Being the Smartog student, I almost always was, I made some clever response about it being smarter to pitch a tent by the side of a river rather than in it. I knew I was a hit because the girls giggled. The teacher didn't giggle. He smiled and said, with a smile still on his face, you're not answering the question, Jeff, because you're not reading the text. It doesn't say that Lehi pitched his tent by the river or in the river. It says he pitched it by a river of water. Why did he say river of water, Jeff? What other kinds of rivers are there? So there's at least a couple of things we can learn from this anecdote from Elder Holland. First, he's always had a quick quit and full of powerful one-liners. But second, I think that we see this interesting phrase that the seminary teacher was trying to point out. The phrase rivers of water doesn't really make sense in English because we just have rivers. But in Nephi's context, there were rivers of water and rivers of sand. That distinction would have been meaningful. I think what Elder Holland's seminary teacher was trying to point out is this type of a Semitic phraseology is not something that Joseph Smith would have been able to make up. This is definitely not something I would base my testimony of the Book of Mormon on, but it's one of those interesting little nuggets of evidence. Now, let's come back to this three days journey. So we often tend to think about the three days based on 1 Nephi chapter 2, verse 6, but notice how in verse 5, it says that Leah and his family came down to the borders of the Red Sea. So from Jerusalem to the Red Sea is about 180 miles. And then from that point, they go three days into the wilderness. If Lehi and his family traveled, let's say, 15 to 25 miles per day, this is about a two-week journey in the wilderness, a little over 200 miles. This might give us more of appreciation for Laman and Lemuel and why they're feeling the way they are. The wilderness that they're walking through is a barren desert. In fact, just a, a quick side note story. So my family used to live in Jerusalem, and we lived there for a year. On one occasion, we were going to drive down to the Red Sea. And so as we were driving to the Red Sea, going through this kind of wilderness, I was telling my kids about 1st Nephi chapter 2 and all of the complaining of Laman and Lemuel. We'd only been driving for about 45 minutes when we got stopped at a security checkpoint because there had been some flash flooding further down the road. So we had to turn around, drive back to Jerusalem and get to the Red Sea by a different way. I was so upset. We've just wasted 45 minutes of time. I said, think of all of the things we could have been doing and as I found myself getting so irritated about this minor delay, all of a sudden I realized, wow, I'm more like Laman and Lemuel than I realized. Think of how you would feel if you were asked to take a four-week round-trip journey to go back to Jerusalem and get the plates and then return all through a barren wilderness. This is pretty tough. So as we come back to First Nephi chapter 2, let's take a look at verses 9 and 10. Is there camped out that three days journey into the wilderness? Lehi tells Laman and Lemuel, Oh, that thou mightest be like unto this river continually running into the fountain of all righteousness. Oh, that thou mightest be like unto this valley, firm and steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of the Lord. It touches my heart to think of the tender love that Lehi had for his children. Here, he's praying for Lemuel to be firm, steadfast, and immovable. And it seems like that in Lehi's lifetime, this prayer isn't answered. To me, that's a valuable moment to pause, to consider that we're seeing a real family here. And this is a real family with struggles. Lehi has hopes for his children that aren't fulfilled. And sometimes you and I may be in similar positions. But let's step back and look at a bigger picture. If we turn to Third Nephi chapter 6, centuries in the future, this is the time just before Jesus Christ will return to the earth. We read that the church was broken up, except it were among a few of the Lamanites. They were firm, steadfast, and immovable, willing with all diligence to keep the commandments of the Lord. What a powerful reminder to us that even though Lehi's prayer wasn't answered exactly the way he wanted, when he wanted it, The hopes that he had for Lemuel were fulfilled centuries in the future through Lemuel's descendants. These are the only two times in scripture that we see the words firm, steadfast, and immovable appearing together. To me, it's not a coincidence. It's a reminder that the Lord does hear and answer our prayers in his own way and time. But I would love to think that Lehi was there in the spirit world, seeing the choices of his posterity, their choosing to remain firm, steadfast, and immovable, bringing Lehi great joy. So that takes us to one of the shortest verses in the Book of Mormon. First Nephi chapter two, verse 15, my father dwelt in a tent. I used to teach seminary and sometimes for a devotional student would get up, you know, being a little bit of a smart aleck and say, here's my favorite verse in the Book of Mormon. And they would share my father dwelt in a tent. But you know what? I think there actually is a lot of spiritual power in this verse. We don't know all the details of Lehi and his family, but it seems like Lehi was a very wealthy individual. We read that they had gold, silver, and precious things. Lehi's treasures were exceedingly great. He had all manner of riches. Lehi was so wealthy that Laban lusts after his treasure. Lehi's going to go from this very wealthy, lavish lifestyle to dwelling in a tent. I don't have the greatest house of all times, but I know that if I had to leave my house and live in a tent, I would be really disappointed. So it shows us something of Lehi and his family's dedication to leave their comforts to go live in a tent. But it also shows us that great things can happen even in difficult circumstances. It's while they're living in a tent that Lehi is going to receive powerful revelations. Later we'll read that while they're living in a tent, Lehi is filled with joy. Sariah is exceedingly glad. So even when we're metaphorically living in tents, things are difficult. We can find joy and happiness. We can receive great revelations. And that takes us to a revelation that Lehi received, that his sons needed to go back and get the plates of brass. It's interesting that Laman and Lemuel say that this is a hard thing Lehi has required of them. But Nephi sees that it's not Lehi's commandment. It's a commandment from the Lord. Nephi says, "I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded, for I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men save He shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which He commandeth them." We'll come back to this verse in just a moment, but as we continue with the storyline of First Nephi, chapter three, Nephi and his brothers make their way back to Jerusalem's two-week, difficult journey, and they draw lots. So Laman draws the short straw, and he goes and asks Laban for the plates. That does not go over very well. Some of Nephi's brothers are ready to quit, but Nephi isn't. He comes up with a great idea. Let's take all of our treasures, our riches, mom's silverware. Let's take that to Laban. That plan doesn't work either. They lose all their treasure and flee for their lives from Laban and his servants. While Nephi and his brothers are hiding in the cavity of a rock, Laman and Lemuel beat Nephi and Sam with sticks. Now we know what's going to happen, so it's easy for us to just glide past verse 28. But pause. Let's sit here for a moment in the middle. Nephi doesn't know how everything's going to work out. Imagine that you're Nephi. You're being faithful. You're keeping the commandments of the Lord. You try the first way. That doesn't work. So you come up with a great idea. I'm sure Nephi felt inspired. This idea is going to be amazing. That doesn't work. Now you're literally being beaten and you don't know what happens next. So often in our lives, we're in the middle. We're in 1 Nephi chapter 3, verse 28 with Nephi where everything is going wrong. Just like things worked out for Nephi, things will work out for you and me. When we're stuck in the middle, remember Jesus Christ. Have hope in him. He will deliver. In this case, it was an angel that came and delivered Nephi and Sam from Laman and Lemuel. And so Nephi makes one final attempt to get the brass plates. I love 1 Nephi chapter 4, verse 6. Nephi says, I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. Nevertheless, I went forth. Before we continue with this storyline, I want to show a little contrast between 1 Nephi 3 7. In 1st Nephi chapter 4, verse 6, notice that in 1st Nephi 3, 7, Nephi says, I will go and do for I know. In this case, Nephi knows. And as a result, he's going to do. Sometimes knowing leads to doing. But in 1st Nephi chapter 4, verse 6, Nephi says, I didn't know what to do. Nevertheless, I went forth. As Nephi does, as he moves forward with faith, eventually he's going to come to know. Sometimes it's the doing that leads to the knowing. After Nephi found Laban unconscious, notice this pattern continuing. I knew that the law was engraven upon the plates of brass. I knew that the Lord had delivered Laban into my hands that I might obtain the records. Therefore, I did obey the voice of the Spirit. Again, we see this pattern of knowing leading to doing. My favorite example of this pattern in the chapters we're reading today actually comes from Sariah. If we jump over to first Nephi chapter five, consider how Sariah felt. She's gone with her family into the wilderness. She's sent her sons on a journey that would take a month or more, and she does not know what happened to them. When Nephi and his brothers return, Sariah says, Now I know of the surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. To me, Sariah is an incredible example of doing leading to knowing. She says, now I know, meaning now more than six weeks after her family has left Jerusalem. Now she knows. That means she didn't know the day that she left. She acted on faith. Sariah is a powerful example to each of us that sometimes we don't know what we're supposed to do. But like Soraya, like Nephi, we can still go forth. Recently, I was talking with a young adult who's trying to decide whether she should go on a mission. This is obviously an important decision and she's prayed a lot about it, but she doesn't feel clear direction either way. And she was wondering, what should I do? I love this advice from Elder Richard G. Scott, which is a reminder to all of us that sometimes we need to do so that we'll know. Elder Scott said, when God withholds an answer, it is to have us grow through faith in him, obedience to his commandments, and a willingness to act on truth. We are expected to assume accountability by acting on a decision that is consistent with his teachings without prior confirmation. We are to act. Most often, what we have chosen to do is right. He will confirm the correctness of our choices his way. That confirmation generally comes through packets of help found along the way. If in trust we begin to do something which is not right, he will let us know before we have gone too far. We sense that help by recognizing troubled or uneasy feelings. So in the case of my friend who's trying to decide on whether or not to serve a mission, she can make the choice. She can either open up her mission papers or decide I'm not going on a mission. And as she moves forward, it's often as we act, that the knowledge of what we're supposed to do unfolds. Think about this as a pattern throughout scripture. Adam and Eve sacrificed for many days before they knew why. Noah built an ark before it started to rain. Moses led the children of Israel to the Red Sea before it parted. Naaman washed in the River Jordan before he knew what would happen. And we can think about Moroni's promise with the Book of Mormon. It's basically a promise that if we will do read the Book of Mormon and pray about it, we will know of its truthfulness. Sometimes we pray to know what to do, and sometimes we need to pray for the strength to do so that we'll know. This principle, I think, has a lot of relevance for us as parents and teachers. Think about a child who grows up in the church. This child will hear hundreds of hours of lessons, and many of these lessons, maybe most, will be helping the child know things so that she will do things. But maybe we've got it backwards in some of our teaching and learning. Maybe instead of spending more time helping people know so that they'll do, I should try to help my children or students do so that they'll know. Elder David A. Bednar said, we put way too much importance on what we say. We think that by telling people things that somehow that will connect and get inside. My observation is that the role of a parent or teacher includes talking and telling, but it extends beyond that to inviting a child or student to act in accordance with the truth. And only when the child acts in accordance with the truth that has been explained or taught can the child come to know for himself or herself the truthfulness of what they have heard and what they are doing. It's only when you help them act in accordance with truth that they get it for themselves. It moves from their head to their heart. This is an important message for us as teachers, as ministering brothers and sisters, as parents. It's also a message for us as individuals. We have to act. We have to help others act because it's sometimes as we know we will do. More often, it's as we do, we will know. Nephi was able to obtain the plates of brass. Can you imagine how he and Zoram were feeling as they journeyed to meet Nephi's brothers? And picture for a moment Zoram as he realizes he's not with Laban at all. We don't know a lot about Zoram's backstory, but I want to highlight that Lehi will later say about Zoram. Zoram, I speak unto you. I know that thou art a true friend unto my son Nephi forever. I admire Zoram, the faith that he exhibited as he does, he acts, even though he doesn't know what will happen as he goes into the wilderness. Well, as we come back to 1 Nephi chapter 5, I'm so sympathetic with Lehi and Sariah, worried about their children. It's too bad that they didn't live in the modern age with Find My Friends on their phone or social media so they could check for Nephi's latest status updates. But eventually Nephi and his brothers and Zoram, they all make it back safe and sound to Lehi and Sariah. And I love that after offering sacrifice, the first thing Nephi and Lehi do is search the records. And this takes us back to where we began, the idea that it was wisdom in the Lord that we should carry these sacred records with us as we journeyed in the wilderness towards the land of promise. At the heart of the sacred record Nephi read on the brass plates was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is central in the record Nephi will keep. As we come to an end of today's class, I want us to pause and think for a moment, what could you do based on today's class that would help you more deeply know a gospel truth? Perhaps we could focus more on praying like a prophet searching the scriptures, finding joy even in difficult times when we're metaphorically living in a tent, or moving forward with faith, even when we don't know how things will work out. I promise that as we act, as we do, we will come to know and more fully come closer to Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening today. We hope you'll rate this podcast and leave a review. It really helps others discover it. This course is more than a podcast. There are several additional elements, including readings, PowerPoints, and other learning resources. These are all freely available at johnhiltonii.com slash the Book of Mormon. We hope to see you there.